Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Luke, chapter 2. The book of Luke, chapter 2. We are so thankful for just the wonderful singing that we've had today. I appreciate the choir very much and the hard work that they put in to bring us the choir music today. Brother Joey, we thank you for that beautiful song that you've just given us. And it is a, it is a great joy to be in God's house on this Sunday before Christmas. Naturally, uh, most of the sermons that are preached around this time of year concern the birth of Christ. Most of them talk about the night on which Christ was born and the Christmas carols that we sing. Uh, for instance, O Holy Night, that was sung just a moment ago, uh, reminds us, of course, of the time that Jesus was born, and we do talk about the birth. So we recognize the birth of Jesus on this day. But in my message today, I, I want to go just a little bit beyond the birth of Christ, to two events that happened just shortly after he was born. Now, interestingly, the Bible uh, gives us the story of Jesus' birth, and then it tells us about these two events that we're going to talk about today. And then the Bible is totally silent until the time that Jesus is 12 years old. Then there's one incident about Jesus at 12 going into the temple. And then from that point all the way up to the time that Jesus began his public ministry, the Bible really doesn't tell us anything about the early life of Jesus. So we don't know very much about Jesus during that time that he had, uh, from the time that he was born until he became an adult and he entered into his preaching ministry. But sometimes overlooked in the story of his birth are the two events that I'd like to talk to you about today. These things happened just very shortly after Jesus was born. If you'd stand with me, please, we're going to read God's Word today. In reverence for the reading, we're looking at Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin with verse number 21. Luke chapter 2, verse number 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus which was so named to the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And that's the first event that we're going to talk about today. That's the naming of the child and the circumcision of the child. The second event occurs in verse number 22. And when the days of her purification, that's speaking of Mary, and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, they took, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation." which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
this wonderful time of celebration that we can think about Jesus coming into the world. I ask you, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today through this message. May we understand exactly according to the subject of the message today. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The message that I want to bring you today is, I'm glad I know who Jesus is. When Jesus was just a very little baby, there were some people who knew right then, right then, they knew who Jesus was. These were people that were expecting him. They had been looking for him. And he knew, they knew who he was and what he had come into the world to do. And if you don't know who Jesus is, and if you're not glad you know who Jesus is, I surely do hope that you will feel that way before you leave this building today. Now, these two events early in Jesus' life tell us some very important things about him. I'd like to talk to you first this morning about the dedication of the parents. Jesus was a child that was blessed to be born in a loving, God-fearing family. He had a mother and father who who honored the Lord. They served the Lord. Uh, They had purpose in serving him. And I hope that you understand when I speak about the parents of Jesus, that I'm talking about, of course, his mother Mary. She was the one who was chosen to bear him. She brought him into the world. But I'm also speaking about his earthly father. I'm talking about Joseph. And Joseph was a a just man. Joseph was a good man. He was a man who trusted in the Lord. And when other people derided and they whispered behind his back that something had gone wrong here, that Mary, uh, the one he was to marry, had been unfaithful to him, Yet Joseph was a man who still believed in God and he trusted what God said, that this woman was bearing the seed of the Son of God. He was the Son of God, the seed of the Father. And so he very clearly understood this and he believed that. And Joseph believed that although that he was given the responsibility of raising this child, he did know who the real father was. The real father of the baby was Almighty God. He was Jehovah God, Lord of the heavens, Lord of this universe. And he knew that he had been given the responsibility of bringing this child up, even though he was not even his son, but he was truly the son of God. And I believe that both Mary and Joseph were dedicated to the Lord to do what the God had called them to do. Even at that very moment, they didn't even realize exactly what all of this would entail, bringing up this child who would become the Savior. Well, believing God and being dedicated to God, they did what was required of them. And so we see in this scripture that we've read today that first they gave him the the appointed name. They gave him the name that he was supposed to be given. Now, according to the Jewish customs, the time to give a male child his name was at the time he was circumcised. Their custom said that at eight days old, they circumcised the child And then Mary and Joseph gave him the name that had already been chosen for him. Now, the thing about this is, they didn't get to choose the name for their baby. Now, many of you, when your children were born, you may have gone out and purchased a baby book with all the different names of all the babies or babies that could be given. And and you looked through those names and you very carefully poured over those and you decided what name that you would want to give your child. I remember when our children were born that my wife and I argued over the names. And when the dust settled, I won out. Now, she may have a very different story to tell, but I'm preaching today, so I get to tell it my way. 
But we kind of argued over the name, and Clarissa, our daughter who's here today, uh, she was named after my grandmother. My grandmother's middle name was Claire, and so we named her Clarissa. My other daughter, Lauren, um, is named after my favorite uncle, actually. His name was Lauren, spelled differently, but it sounded the same, so we gave her that name. And then uh, our son, Nathan, that was kind of a compromise. Uh, I liked Nathaniel. But my wife thought that that was too long, so I did lose out a little bit there. But we named him Nathan, and then we gave him two other names, which I thought were very appropriate. We gave him the names Val Mark, which is my name. So we were the ones who got to decide the baby's name. But it wasn't like that with Mary and Joseph, because this was a name that had already been decided for him. When the angel came and spoke to Joseph and told him that Mary was going to have a child, the angel told him, thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then the angel said, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so Mary and Joseph gave him that name. And the name was actually descriptive of what he would do. Because Jesus actually means Jehovah is salvation. So they knew who Jesus was because they gave him a descriptive name. Jehovah is salvation. And that said something about what he came into this world to do. It was a descriptive name. I don't think they fought over it. I believe that they very clearly understood what God wanted them to do. And so they named this child Jesus and they followed the Lord's instructions. Now, I would tell you today as parents that the very best thing that you can do for your child is to give them a good name. And I'm not talking about a name that sounds good. And I'm not talking about a name that may may be unique and other people haven't heard of. I'm talking about pass along a good name to them. Be the kind of parents that pass along a good name to your children by being people who are faithful and are dedicated servants of the Lord. So when anyone looks at your child, they can say, well, we know that this is a blessed child. We know that this child will be raised right Because here is a child whose parents love the Lord. They're dedicated to the Lord. They're God-fearing parents. That's the best thing you can do. Pass along a good name. And so they gave him the appointed name. But we also see in this story that they presented him to the Lord. Jesus was circumcised. He was named at eight days old. And then when he was 40 days old, he was taken into the temple to be presented to the Lord. Well, how do we know that he was 40 days old? Verse number 22 says, When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. According to the Old Testament law, a woman who had given birth was considered to be unclean for 40 days. She couldn't go to the temple until she'd passed these days of purification. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing, because in the Old Testament, if a, if a, a woman had a male child, she was unclean for 40 days. But if she had a female child, she was unclean for 80 days. You can make of that what you want. Uh, It seems to me that God must be saying that men are twice as good as women. But uh, so we don't know, but that might be the point. But the important thing here really is that this was a ceremonial cleansing. And then when it was done, the very first place that they took this baby was into the house of God. And so this family gathered together, they brought the baby, and they took him to the temple, and they came there to worship and to acknowledge that this baby is not just theirs, but this is a baby that belongs to the Lord. This is a child that God has given, and it belongs to him. I'm happy that I can relate to you 
that the very first place that my parents took me when I was born was to the church. When I was very, very young, the very first public place that I went, my parents took me to the church. And it was an amazing thing because I was such a sweet little baby that it didn't take 40 days to purify my mother. She was purified right when I came out. But that was the first place that they took me. One of the things that I really enjoy most about church, and being a pastor of the church, is when we get to dedicate little babies. Now, a year ago, we dedicated little Aiden that was up here. But uh, we bring the babies up here and we dedicate them to the Lord uh, when they're born. Their their parents bring them here. Uh, You know, the first time that they're here, we usually do that. And we all know, I don't have anything special that I can do for a baby. I can't grant any grace. Uh, The Bible doesn't give me any, and God doesn't give any power to do anything like that. We don't baptize babies because the scriptures never tell us that we're supposed to baptize a baby. But we certainly do dedicate them. And I think it's appropriate that we do. This is what happened to Jesus. And we dedicate them because this is actually the parents that are saying, we want to raise our child in a place where he can hear about the Lord. We want to raise this child with the right kind of upbringing because we want this child to hear the gospel of Christ and to be saved. And some of you made that commitment. Some of you sitting right here today, you made a commitment Way back when your children were born, you may have even brought them to the church just like we do the babies here, and they were dedicated. And you said, I'm going to raise this child in church, and I'm going to give this child every opportunity that I can in order for this child to hear the Word of God. And then when that child is old enough, they'll, they'll be able to believe in Christ. And I think that's a good thing for us to do. But I would say this, that you ought to honor that commitment. And some of you may not have done that. You haven't honored the commitment that you made to the Lord. Oh, it's great for us to come to church around Christmas time and around Easter time. But the thing is, what are you doing for your children the rest of the year? What what are you doing about giving them that opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ? One of the most unusual baby dedications that I did was not for uh, the parents of the baby and the child, but I actually did a dedication for the grandmother and the child. The grandmother came to me and said, would you dedicate my grandbaby to the Lord because I am going to raise this child in church. You know who that was? It was Kayla Head. And Joanne has been very faithful for these past four years to bring Kayla to church on Sundays. Now she's in our Christian school as a, as a K-4 student. And I believe that one day God is going to save that child because her parents were faithful to bring her to church. And that's what you need to do. Be a parent who's committed and dedicated to the Lord. Present your children to the Lord and raise them in the church. You see, the Bible and God has given us a responsibility not only to raise our children physically, but we're also supposed to raise them spiritually. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, it's never too late to start. And that's true in one sense. God can save a child at a very young age. God may decide to wait until later when that child becomes an adult and save them then. But you'll find this to be true, that if you start too late, that you're going to find it very difficult to get children to want to come to church. And so raise them up from the very beginning, right when they're very young. Start them in church. Bring them as babies and present them to the Lord. So Mary and Joseph started out right. When Jesus was 40 days old, they brought him into the temple. And then in this very same chapter, we find that when Jesus was 12 years old, 
that the Bible says he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So if you raise your children in the church, I believe that's what will happen to them. But there's something else here that happened when Jesus was only 40 days old and his parents brought him into the temple. There was a man there who was waiting for this day to come. This man was expecting that the Messiah would come. And when he came, he knew who Jesus was. Next, I want you to notice the identification of the prophet. This prophet's name was Simeon, and he identified Jesus. If you look once again at verse number 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do him for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. The Bible doesn't tell us who Simeon was. The Bible doesn't call him a prophet. I said that he was a prophet, and I say that because... Right here in these verses, he prophesied something concerning Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that Simeon was a priest. It doesn't say that he was a Levite or he was one of the servants of the temple. It appears that he's just a layman. He's somebody who loved the Lord. Here the Bible calls him a just man. That means that he was a righteous person. He was a devout man. He was a man who was on the lookout for this promised Messiah to come. Do you realize that there weren't very many people in Israel who knew Jesus when he came? Here was a man who did. Did you know that it took probably about two years for those wise men to arrive from the east? We're used to seeing the wise men in the nativity scenes at the time that Jesus was born. But most likely it took those men a full two years to come to the place in Bethlehem and to see the child Jesus. He was already living in a house when they got there. But those wise men knew more than what many people in Israel knew. The priests who should have recognized that the Messiah had come, they didn't know about this. But here is Simeon, a man in the temple, and he recognized who Jesus was. He was a faithful student of God's word, and he expected Jesus is coming. Well, his prophecy tells us some things about Jesus, and there's some important things that we need to note here. First of all, he knew this, that salvation is in a person. It's interesting that that Simeon did what Jesus himself would later do. It says here that he took the baby into his arms and he blessed God. Did you know that's something that Jesus did? In his ministry, he told the disciples to bring young children to him so he could bless them. You know something about people who know Jesus They show the character of Jesus. The character of Jesus shines through their lives. So here was Simeon. He knew who Jesus was, and he already had some of the character of him. So he took the baby up into his arms, and he blessed them. And that's true of Christians. If you know who Jesus is, and you're living for Jesus, his character will shine through your life. So he peered down into the face of the baby, and his words are very important, because he said, "'Mine eyes have seen thy salvation.'" You know, it's interesting here what he didn't say. He didn't look at the temple around him there. And he didn't say, this is salvation. And you know, there are many people who believe that. They think that the church, this is salvation. 
There are some people who come in and they looked at this baptistry over here and they say, well, there is salvation. And they think that's how salvation comes. Simeon didn't say that. Simeon did not look at Mary and say, there is salvation. He didn't look at a confessional booth and say, there is salvation. And there are many people who finger their rosary beads and they say they're Hail Marys and they're Our Fathers and they're thinking, here is salvation. But this man didn't say any of that. He didn't look into the face of Mary and say, there is salvation. He looked into the face of the baby and he said, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And so he realized that salvation was not in anything that he could do. Salvation was not in sacraments. It wasn't in in laws and in commands that people keep. Salvation is in a person. And it's only in one person. And his name is Jesus. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. And I know that I'm not going to heaven because I do Christianized sort of things. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. I'm going to heaven by a person. The scripture says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The scripture says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the Bible teaches no one comes to the Father but by Jesus. So if you're going to get to heaven, it's only for one reason. And that's because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Throw everything else out because only Jesus and Jesus can save. Well, there's something else that Simeon revealed in the statement. He not only knew that salvation is in a person, but he also knew something else that's very important. Salvation is for all people. Now, this is a remarkable statement that he makes. He says in verses 30 through 32, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. I don't think we really understand how radical a statement that that was. The Jews, if they were looking for a Messiah, they expected that he would only deal with Jews. The Messiah came to save Jews. Forget about Gentiles. He wasn't here for them. And so they thought that to put a Gentile on the same playing field with a Jew, that's impossible. That's unconscionable. But Simeon knew better than this. Now, the apostle Paul was nearly killed for the same statement that Simeon made right here. It was years later. Paul was standing at this very same temple. He was making a speech to the Jews. And he was telling them about how God had saved him. He related the story about how he was traveling to Damascus. He had letters with him to where he he had permission. He was granted by the high priest and the leaders to seize Christians and to throw them into jail. And then Paul told about how this great light shined all around him. And then the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him. He related the story in Acts 22, verse 21. Paul is telling the story and he says, And he said unto me, Jesus said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence to the Gentiles. Well, the Jews were listening to Paul's story. They heard him tell about that great light. And they were amazed by that and and maybe taken by that. And they listened very intently until Paul came to this one spot in his story. And that's when he mentioned Gentiles. And when he said Gentiles, salvation for Gentiles, the whole situation changed. Now, here's what happened later. And the next verses after that, and they gave him audience unto this word, or until he spoke about Gentiles. Then they lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit 
that he should live. And they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air. This is the very same thing that Simeon said. This child is the savior of Jews and Gentiles. He's the savior of all men. Now let's notice a couple of words that he uses in verse number 32. He says, a light to lighten the Gentiles. And that tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. Whenever I read this, my my mind goes back to the Old Testament story of how Israel was going through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. As they were traveling through the wilderness, God was leading them, and God prepared a great cloud that led them during the daytime. But at nighttime, there was a pillar of fire that went before them, and that was God leading them through the wilderness. I can imagine that there were enemies of Israelite of the Israelites that at nighttime they would they would camp down and they'd watch the Israelites over the peaks of the of the ridges there, and they would see that great shining burning fire that stood right over the tabernacle. And they were amazed by the light that they saw. And do you know what that light was? That was the light of Jesus Christ. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The light was shining. The Gentiles could see that the God of Israel is here. He's in the pillar of cloud. He's also in that fire at night. When Isaiah spoke about the Messiah, he said, the people that walked in darkness have seen great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, on them hath the light shined. Jesus later spoke the same words to the Jews. He said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Simeon knew that Jesus was the gospel light. He's the light of the world. But then he uses another word in verse number 32. He says here, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So the second word that he used is this word glory. And that tells us that Jesus is the glory of the Father. Now, Jesus is peculiarly the glory of Israel. And that's because it was the nation of Israel that God chose to bring Jesus into the world. And truly, Israel is blessed because they're the people by which the Messiah came. And Isaiah also wrote about that concerning Israel. He said, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Israel was truly blessed to have God's glory among them. And you know why? Because only Jesus could reveal God. Jesus is the only way that a person can have a true relationship with God. Without Jesus coming into the world, the Father, who is a spirit, remains just a concept to us. There's no personal interaction with him, but Jesus came to reveal the glory of the Father. John wrote in John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John also wrote, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Simeon knew who Jesus was. He recognized him. And Simeon's words in this scripture stand out as the greatest of all the prophecies concerning Christ. And that's true because what Simeon said encompassed the worldview of what Jesus came to do. 
He's not just a Savior for Jews. He is that. But he's also a Savior for Gentiles. And that means he's a Savior for all people. So Simeon knew this. He knew this prophecy concerning him. He looked into the face of this baby. And with full surrender to the sovereignty of God, he said, God, I know you've let me live this long in order that I might see your salvation. And so he said, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. But there's yet one final lesson that we can learn from the story that we've read today. Thirdly, we can learn this, the anticipation of his pain. Jesus didn't come to be just a sweet little baby. You know, I love babies. I I love my grandbaby, Elisa. Uh, She's here with us today. I love the two grandbabies that we have that are on the way. I already love them. I look into the face of Elisa and... I hate to look into that baby's face and and think about her having to have a horrible time in this world. I don't want to think about the tough things that she might have to go through. And so I, I fully expect that her mother, her father will be able to protect her. I think as a grandparent that I'll be able to do something for her, that I can help watch over her. I don't want to predict hard times for this child. But it wasn't so with Simeon. You would not want to have been in Simeon's shoes. Here he has the mother standing right beside him. He's there in the temple, and he has to make the kinds of predictions that he makes. Most of us would think, well, that's very rude. That's inappropriate for you to say such things at a time like this. After all, this is the baby dedication, and you're going to say things like this? This is a glorious time. It's a wonderful time, a joyful time. We're dedicating a baby. But Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit, and so he can't help but speak the words that the Holy Spirit puts into his heart. So what does he say? Well, first of all, he reveals that this is a divisive child. He said in verse 34, And Simeon blessed him and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And those were startling words to them. Now, first, when the angel came and spoke to Mary, uh, she gave, the angel gave her good news. You're going to have a child. You're having a son. He'll be the savior of the world. The angel spoke to Joseph and brought good news. The shepherds came after seeing those angels appear to them on that Judean hillside. And it was good news. The savior of the world has come. But now Simeon has to say something that the others haven't said. He said some good things, but then he has to bring up the bad things, some shocking truth that he must tell Mary. He says this child is going to be a dividing line between men. Some will hear the message of Jesus Christ, and their hearts will be gladdened by what they've heard. There were many in Israel who responded that way. John the Baptist, wow, knowing the Savior, being a cousin to the Savior, it was glorious, and he rose because of it. That woman at the well in Samaria who heard about Jesus as he spoke to her. What a wonderful time of salvation that it was. That man, that lame man at the pool of Siloam that Jesus healed. The blind men that he healed. Lazarus that he raised from the dead. It was a glorious time for them. And they rose with Jesus. But the Bible also says that there are many who will be torn by him. There will be families that will be divided because of Jesus Christ. A crowd will cheer him on one day, and the very next, they'll bitterly denounce him. And this is what the gospel is. It's a dividing line between people. The relationship that you have with the Lord actually divides you between two eternal destinies. Either it's a destiny in heaven 
where you'll be with Jesus forever, or the destiny is hell. Jesus is a dividing line. And some, by the sovereign grace of God, will believe in Christ and they will rise with him, but others will reject him and they will fall and they will be utterly cast down. And so there were some in Israel who accepted the kingdom and were accepted into the kingdom. And there were others who refused to believe. They refused to trust him. And so they were excluded. Do you understand this today? Jesus still divides people. Your eternal destiny depends upon the very questions that we're talking about today. Do you know who Jesus is? And that's a dividing line for eternity. Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe he's the savior of the world? Simeon said some will rise with him, but others will fall. Then he said something else about the child. He said, this is a despised child. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. How would you like it that if at a baby dedication, I have the parents up here and we're dedicating the baby and I turn to the parents and I say, You know something? People are going to despise your baby. People are going to hate your baby. I've never had parents walk off the platform because of anything I said at a baby dedication. But if I did that, they would. And yet, you know, this is the very thing that Simeon had to say. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He had to speak what he was supposed to say. Was Jesus despised? We have the record, don't we? We have the Word of God. It tells us so. On numerous occasions throughout his public ministry, Jesus was sought after, not for the miracles and things that he could do at many times, but because they wanted to kill him. They hated the ground that he worked on, walked on. Uh, they, they, they wanted revenge against him. And though Jesus never did anything wrong, yet he was taken, he was beaten unmercifully. They took a cat of nine tails and they beat his back to a bloody mess. They hit his face with sticks. They plucked out his beard to where the Bible says he wasn't even recognizable. Then they took a crown of long thorns And they pressed that down into his head. And as those thorns pierced his skull, the Bible says the blood came streaming down. That's what they did to Jesus. Then they took him, they stretched him out across two wooden beams, and they nailed his hands and his feet to a cross. They hung him between heaven and earth, and they left him in a hot, glaring sun to die. That's what they did to Jesus. Now today you think, well, what an injustice that is. We must have sympathy for him because this was so wrong. He didn't deserve that kind of punishment. And we don't despise him, but we ought to despise those who did it. But is that in fact what we see? Not at all. Men and women still despise Jesus today. When was the last time you heard somebody take his name in vain? Probably today. It probably hasn't even been ours since you heard somebody mock the name of Jesus Christ, or possibly you've even done it yourself. And you think, we ought to despise the ones who killed him? We're the ones who killed him. We ought to despise ourselves for this because we are sinners, and it's for us that Christ died. This is what Simeon told Mary and Joseph. No wonder they marveled at the words. He was despised. They took him... And they hung him on a tree. He was divisive. He was a dividing line. But he also says something else that's very important. And he says, this is a delivered child. Something else we find. He is a delivered child. 
Now, Simeon delivered bad news. It looks bleak from his outlook. But did you know there was somebody else in the temple that day? There was another person who was also there. And this person also knew who Jesus was. This was a woman by the name of Anna. I want you to skip down to verse number 38, if you would, please. It says, and she coming in that instant. That's Anna. She coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Who is Jesus? He's redemption. And how is he redemption? Peter tells us, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained in these last times, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. This is what Christ did. He obtained eternal redemption for us by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. He was put into a tomb, but he didn't stay in the tomb. He was delivered by the Father. He was raised up by the Father. And the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's who Jesus is. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. He's divisive. He was despised. But praise God, he was delivered. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am going to live forever. Do you know who Jesus is? And perhaps you came today and you wanted to hear about a baby in a manger. Maybe you wanted to hear about angels and about stars, about wise men, about shepherds. I don't want you to stay at the manger. What I want you to do today is go to the cross. And I want you to see Jesus there bleeding and dying for you. I want you to go to an empty tomb. And I want you to see that Jesus is no longer there. He has arisen from the dead. When you go to the manger, he did come into the world. We know that. When you see the cross, we do know that he died for the world. When you go to the tomb, we do know that he's no longer in that tomb. And when you've done those things, then you'll know who Jesus is. And when you know that, you'll be glad you know who Jesus is. If you know him today, I'd like you to write this down in your listening sheet. If you know him today, I am also glad I know who Jesus is. I hope that you can say that. I'm going to lead us in prayer here in just a moment. And I want you to be very seriously thinking about that statement. I am also glad I know who Jesus is. And if you can't say that today, then I encourage you to put your faith and your trust in him. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Fathers, we come to you. We thank you again for Jesus Christ who came into the world. Every person who knows him is glad of who he is. I ask you, Lord, that you'd speak to some heart today, someone who hasn't yet met Jesus. May they see the baby's no longer in the manger and this man is no longer on the cross. And certainly he's no longer in the tomb. He has arisen from the dead. Would you speak to some heart today? Would you tell them and show them the way of salvation? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.